This is session five, I think our last session on 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. And our focus will be on verse 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to take his own vessel in holiness and honor, not in the passion of desire like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as you, as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever sets himself against this, this honor, this holiness, this taking his own vessel in purity, this not transgressing his brother, this holiness and abstaining from impurity. Whoever sets himself against this and says, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do and use my body the way I want to use it sets himself not against man, as though wronging the brother were the only thing involved. It is involved, but it's not the main thing. He is setting himself against God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, Father, as we try to understand this argument here, this therefore, and how this works, would you give us eyes to see, and would you disincline our hearts against setting ourselves up against man and God? And would you grant that we would recognize the unspeakable privilege of being given the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit of God in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When it says, whoever sets himself against this, this teaching about sexual purity, sets himself not against man, but against God, what does he mean? My, my question is, is it merely that God, that Paul has said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So when it says you set yourself uh, against God, does it mean against the will of God? So God's will is your holiness. If you resist holiness, you resist the will of God. Is that the idea? And yes, I mean, that's that's what would make sense out of the therefore. Because of all of this I've said, including verse 2 preceding, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. In other words, remember I argued that means these instructions about sexual morality didn't come out of my own head. They came through the Lord Jesus. They have the authority of God behind them. And so if you set yourself against this, you're setting yourself not merely against man, 
this brother here, but you're setting yourself against God because it's God's will that you be holy, and that includes abstaining from sexual immorality. But that's not where the emphasis falls finally. That does explain the therefore, and so that's clearly implied. But when it ends with who, in God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you, what is that implying about setting yourself against God? You set yourself, if you set yourself against this moral teaching concerning how to treat your wife in honor and holiness and how not to transgress or wrong a brother as you avoid sexual immorality in intruding yourself upon his marriage, if you set yourself against that, it means you're setting yourself against God in the sense that God is in your life. God didn't just tell you to do something, will of God. God came to you, right? This is where the emphasis falls. When you set yourself against God, against this, this teaching, you set yourself against God in his presence, not just his will. You're not just going against the will of God that he delivered from the mountaintop. Hello down there. Don't act that way. No. This God came to you in the Holy Spirit and is in you. He's in you. Holy, holy, holy in you. And if you say unholy, unholy, unholy is the way I'm going to live, impurity is the way I'm going to live, sexual immorality is the way I'm going to live, you are against God's presence, not just his will. It's like the same argument back in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Just like it says in 1 Thessalonians, he gives the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Acknowledge and live up to the fact that the very holy, holy, holy God is in you. That's the argument. If you set yourself against, against morality, against Christian sexual morality, you set yourself not only against the will of God, but against the presence of God. Now, here's the question that raises. If God is present in us by the Holy Spirit, and I have argued repeatedly, especially from chapter 5, that the presence of this God guarantees our sanctification to the end, why is such an exhortation needed, and should we be threatened in that way? Remember, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you sanctify you, that includes sexual morality, completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's going to happen because we are called. God has called us into holiness and 
He who calls justifies and he who justifies glorifies. He's going to do it. Yes, he is. Well, then, can Christians who have the Holy Spirit set themselves against God, the Holy Spirit? Do we need to be told whoever sets himself against whoever sets himself against this sets himself not against man but against God who gives the Holy Spirit? That's talking to Christians. He gives the Holy Spirit to you, so, so don't do this as if we can do this. My answer is we can do this up to a point. Here's why I say that. We can, because over here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, that shows that even though the Holy Spirit is omnipotent and will most definitely do it, right? He will surely do it. He will sanctify you wholly. He has called you. He is faithful. He will do it. Nevertheless, on the way to that final perfection presenting us to Christ at the last day, Christians can quench the Spirit up to a point. Here it is again in Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve. So in 1 Thessalonians, it was quench, and here it's grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the grieving has to do with certain kinds of sins that we commit as Christians. So God, the sovereign Holy Spirit, suffers us in his sovereignty, to grieve him. He doesn't have to let us grieve him. We're not sovereign. We're not God. If he wants to restrain our behavior so that we walk in the truth, he can keep us from grieving him, but he will allow us to grieve him. So I say up to a point he will let us set ourselves against God, the Holy Spirit, but up to a point because he has said, and we shouldn't forget it, let no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. And that vengeance right there is wrath at the last day, as we have seen from Second Thessalonians 1, where the very language of avenging those who do not know God is used. This is going to happen. And if we press on in being against God, the Holy Spirit, we will be rejected. And it will be proven that the Holy Spirit was not in us in a saving way. He had been influencing us in various ways, but we were not truly born of God or born of the Spirit. Let me show you from 1 John a similar kind of thinking. So here's 1 John chapter 1. If we walk in the light, he is, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So if we walk in the light, his blood keeps cleansing us from all sin. The walking does not earn the 
forgiveness because that's what you have that enables you to walk, but it does keep you in the love of God where all sin is forgiven. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. No Christian should ever say, I don't have any sin. The truth isn't in us if we talk like that. But if we confess our sins, that's what you do if you're walking in the light. Walking in the light does not mean perfection. There's no perfection for the people of God in this life. Walking in the light is walking with such illumination that when you do sin, you hate it and you confess it. He is faithful and just to forgive us for our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm saying you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit up to a point. No. Chapter 3 of 1 John, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. In other words, if you're really born of God and his spiritual DNA is in you, this long-term ongoing thumbing your nose at God and saying, I'm against this sexual morality, and therefore I'm against God, he will tolerate that in his elect up to a point. And then he'll stop the elect from doing it. He will cause them to confess their sin. If they go on, make a life of this kind of rejection, they prove themselves to be not born again and not among the elect. And therefore, this warning here, as all warnings in the New Testament, are to be taken seriously by those who are called. Because by taking them seriously, we keep ourselves from that kind of rebellion.